Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I will be reading Genesis 1 and portions from Genesis 1 and 2. I'm very excited this morning to start this new sermon series, uh, Faith Builders, Lessons from Early Women of Faith. One of the things about our faith is that we are meant to keep building it. You know, we will not complete building it until we get to heaven, right? So all of us are called to, to build our faith. And, and I think maybe a, a theme that's going to kind of throw up throughout this series is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where we're reminded to trust the Lord with all our heart. And again, the Old Testament, um, people understood heart is not just something emotional, something we feel. Heart was your mind, body, soul, spirit, your hopes, your dreams, your gifts, your abilities, all that you are, the essence of who you are was your heart. So are you willing to trust God with all of that? And if you're willing to trust God with all of that, it's also an acknowledgement then that, you know, we are going to lean on his understanding, not our own. Leaning on his understanding. And, and what I love about our God is even though he asks us to trust him, he shows to be worthy of our trust, but he also gives us helpers to build our faith. One of the helpers he gives us for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who, who've accepted his salvation, the gift that he is, he gives us the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And that builds our faith as it makes us into the image of Jesus Christ. Christ. But he also gives us himself, his life, his testimony. We have a God who's come before. We have a God who can show us what it is to live and love to please God our Father. He's also blessed us with the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ all around you. That is every Christian who believes, not just locally here in Harrisburg, but in the world. You belong to a body that's not only greater than yourself, but it belongs to all the world. And the body of Christ is not just the Christians who are living now. It's every Christian who's ever lived. That's the lineage you're a part of. That's the family you're a part of. And the one that excites me, even when I think about things like VBS, is you're also a part of a lineage, of a family, of all the Christians to come. Every single person who will ever believe, you're part of that lineage as well. So God gives us this as faith builders. Now, in, in, in this series, as we go through the lives of these women, we'll find out that faith is quite often a product of the faithful. So it's not just that people put their faith in God or put their trust in God, but they do it consistently every day in surprising and amazing ways. However, in teaching our faith, one of the, the greatest um, sins, I think, that we do in teaching our faith is we quite often teach the faith with only about the men of faith. We teach the faith and we'll tell you about Noah or Abraham. We'll tell you about David. We'll tell you about Moses. But we miss Miriam. We miss Hagar. We miss Sarah. We miss Rebecca. We miss Hulda, my favorite. So the purpose of this series is to, to rebuild or to, to, to keep building on this faith. But it's to honor faithful women who have built our faith and faithful women that we see in Genesis and Exodus. But for me... This series is also very personal. It's personal because when I look at my life, I realize that my faith has been built by many women. And I, I, I want to honor them because these are the lessons they've taught me. This is how most of us enter into the kingdom. These are women who've prayed for us. These are women who've birthed us. These are women who've, who've looked out for us. These are women who've inspired us. These are women who've taught us the faith. So for me, when I preach this series, I think of Amelia, I think of Fometa, I think of my, my grandmom, Titi. I think about Carol and Miss Caroline. I think about Betty Ann. I think about Cedra. I think about Linda. I think about Carmen. I think about Patty. I think about Sheila. I think about Shell. And I dream about Harper and Kennedy. 
women who are building my faith today, women who've built my faith forever. So the series, though, is not just about honoring these women of faith, but it's to honor God who created these women of faith and blessed us with these women of faith. Amen? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 26 to 31, and then in Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. In Genesis 1, 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move all, around, uh, all along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God said... Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your creation. We thank you that you're a God of order. We thank you that you're a God who made this world and you made it very good. God, we thank you that even in the beginning, you wanted us to know that you created us equal, that you created us for each other, that you created us to do your work. God, we thank you for this chance to learn from these early women of faith. And as we learn them, as we learn about them, as we, as we tie our stories into their own, God, help us to be willing to not only learn, but to live for you and to glorify you in all we do. In your holy and precious name, amen. So one of the things about Eve that I found growing up in, in the faith is that we often skip over Genesis 1 and 2 when it comes to Eve. For so many of us, we build our theology, or our understanding of Eve based on Genesis 3. Uh, theologians for, for thousands of years now have called this the fall. And for most of us, when we think of Eve, we only think about Genesis 3, as if she's the only one who sinned, or as if she is not more than her worst thing. And I would say one of the greatest Bible study tools I found is simply this. When you read about people in the Bible, think about your worst thing. What is the worst thing you've ever done? Now look around this room and imagine if everyone in this room knew that. But think about the people in Scripture 
Now think about that same body of Christ we talked about. Every Christian living today, every Christian who has lived, every Christian who will live, think about all those people only knowing you for the worst thing you've ever done. This is why it's unjust, I feel, to only base our understanding of Eve in Genesis 3. But the thing about Eve in Genesis 3 is that God forgave her. God redeemed her. God sent his son for her to make things right. But yet when we base our understanding of women or theology only on Genesis 3 and only seeing Eve through those lens, we in essence say, God forgave you, but I don't. We in essence says, God redeemed you, but I'm going to let you still live by these consequences. We essentially do everything we're taught not to do by Genesis 1 and 2. Most people, when they think and they operate, is that Eve is only Genesis 3. But praise God, you're not known for only your worst hour. Praise God that I don't know your worst hour. In the first service, I was like, think about the worst thing you do, but don't say it, you know? I got really scared because sometimes people talk back, you know, and it's just, I love you, but I ain't trying to send you to jail. But when we think about Genesis 3, I think it's very, very helpful to be also reminded, not just that we want to be greater than our worst thing or, or not known for our worst thing, but I think we must be reminded by the, the, the warning that we receive from James, our Lord Jesus' brother. Remember when he's talking about sin. And I think this fits not only Eve, but it fits us. Remember when he's talking about sin, uh, James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's how you need to understand Genesis 3. Not just that Eve, but Eve and Adam were tempted. Not only did they have these evil desires, but the evil desires grew in them and they gave birth to sin and sin gave birth to death. And the best way to understand death in the Bible is separation. It's the world not as it should be. It's you in relationship that's not as it should be. You see, Eve is tempted and Adam is tempted and this evil desire gives birth to sin. But James's reminder is that this happens to you too. Genesis 3 is in scriptures, not so we can put fault on Eve, not even so we can place fault on Adam, those of us who at least try to be equal, but that we're reminded that sin ensnares us, that sin enslaves us, and that all of us can fall short. But the lesson of Genesis 3, though, is that sin leads to death. And, and Eve and Adam, through their sin, create the separation. The first level of separation they created was separation from God. When God created the world, he spoke it into existence, but he took his time to craft and create Eve and Adam. But through their sin, they created separation. And not just from the physical Garden of Eden, but they created separation in that relationship with God. That they could walk and talk with God, that they can, they can call upon God anytime. They betrayed him, and that sin severed the relationship a little bit. And it's a reminder to us that sin isn't just wrong because God says it's wrong, but sin is wrong because every time we sin, we willfully sever and cut at our relationship with God. And we see this even in our relationship with each other. 
Because when we sin against each other, we also do what? Sever and cut our relationship with each other. So this death that leads us to separation from God. This is why the writer of the Romans says, For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Sin has separated us from God. But their sin also separates them from creation. They're created in this beautiful garden, and then they're kicked out. They lose the land, and you see all throughout the Old Testament, the land is the inheritance, and God's people are all about the land, but sin takes away their inheritance time and time again, and eventually they lose the land, just like their parents, Adam and Eve, lost the land of Eden. But we also need to remember that that's our sin too. That when God created Adam and Eve, he put them in charge of all creation. And now many of us look at this world as if we're just here to use it up and let it burn out. Why care about it? Jesus is coming back anyway. Why care about it? Because God put you in charge of it. Why care about it? Because God left you to care for the earth. And the thing about Genesis 3 is that now our relationship with the land is compromised in the sense that God even says, you know, now you will work and you will toil and you will toil for that land. And I still think guys got off easy. You know, my family for 300 years almost now, most of the male leaders in our family have had three jobs, right? They have been pastors, they've been politicians or preachers. I think I, I picked the only right one, but that's just me, you know? But the thing about farming is most people think, yeah, that's when the relationship's severed with the land. But if you remember the curse that's placed on Eve, one of the things is God says, you know, now in childbirth you will know these labor pains. And I'm telling you, I'm not a farmer. I don't even like vegetables. I just eat them because they, they lie to me and tell me it's good for me. I'm trying to believe them, you know, but I just believe in genetics anyway. Um, but I try to eat them, you know. But the thing about it is, if all we as men got a curse is that we work hard on the land and women have to go through childbirth, I think we won that one. <laughs> my wife, you know, my wife watches these TV shows that it's just good for our relationship because it makes me look at her like, how? Why? You know? And one day this week, she was catching up on The Bachelorette, right? This is this beautiful social experiment that it is. It's, it's, it's such, it's, it's terrible, but it sucks you in because you sit there, you're just like, what is wrong with all of you at the same time, right? And, and this episode, though, was, was great. And I was like, God works in mysterious ways. So I walk in, and this episode was the, the guys were trying to impress the the. the, the Lady Bachelorette, I think her name's Hannah. I'm just going to go with it. Um, I think her name's Hannah. They're trying to impress her. And, and to impress her, they signed up to actually go in this machine where they would simulate labor pains. And at first I was skeptical. Then I saw the doctor was a woman. I was like, oh, no, no, this is right. Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, she's not playing around. And, and, and it was funny because, you know, guys, are they believe societal lies. They're supposed to be strong, right? Um, so they go there and they sit down. They get strapped up to the machine. And I'm just sitting there like, what is wrong with all of you? Like, why would you even simulate this, right? And, and, and guy after guy gets zapped, you know? And it's like they're curdling over. They're screaming, you know? Like, and it's just like, and all the women in the room are laughing, you know? We won, <laughs> you know, work for the earth. Like you win, you don't got to give labor. Amen. But the thing though, the thing that we also must remember 
is that because of sin, there's not separation just with God, not just with the creation, not just with the land, but a separation with each other. Our passage ends in Genesis 2 that, that Eve and Adam were before God naked. And it's not just about the physical nakedness. It's about the emotional nakedness. It's about the chance that they can stand before each other completely vulnerable, completely honest, and completely okay. How many of us to this day would dream of relationships like that? Not just with your partners or your spouses, but with every single person. Imagine every single person you know you could be completely vulnerable with. You can be completely honest with. You can be completely yourself. And not only do you not have to worry about judgment, but you know you will be loved for being you. That's what they had. And that's what was ruined. And what happens in Genesis 3? We start the blame game. Adam, instead of saying, yes, I sinned too, says, it was the woman you gave me. And how many of our relationships look like that? Where it's tit for tat. Where it's, you know, do I really trust you? Or can I be vulnerable with you? Or this is all your fault. How many of us miss what happened here? And here's the other thing that's interesting about this so-called curse on Eve. One of the lines in here is God says, you know, your husband will now rule over you. But it's interesting the word that God chooses. And I missed this for years. I just read it in English as if the Bible was written in English, right? We'll get to that in a little bit. But the word that God uses is Tim Shell. And Tim Shell is this all-encompassing word. It's the same word that happens in um, um, Cain and Abel, right? It's the same word that happens in, that, that I think James even talks about, or John. John talks about too when he talks about sin. It can be read as an order, like your husband will rule over you. It can be read as a promise. Yeah, this sucks, but he's going to rule over you. Or it can be read as, you know what, this is an ideal but it's possible. Tim Shell gets at the possibility. And what God is saying, even in this curse that we've cursed women with for thousands of years, God is saying, this is not the ideal, but those men might rule over you now. That's not what I created. That's not what's good. That's not what my kingdom looks like. But Tim Shell, it's possible it's going to happen. And if we look at the history of the world, We've moved from possibility to sad reality. God saw it coming, and that's what sin did. But praise God, we do not have to continue to be defined by our fall or the consequences of our fall. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God for God who redeems. But I will also say this morning, praise God for Genesis 1 and 2 which show us what God's ideal really does look like. So Eve's first lesson, if you want to take any lesson from Genesis 3, it isn't that we fell. It's that when we stop trusting God, evil desires can born in us. And when they born in us, they can give birth to sin. And that sin will lead to separation. And that lesson about Eve and Adam isn't just about Eve and Adam. It's about us too. Because when we sin, we hurt our relationship with God. We can hurt our relationship with the creation, and we hurt our relationship with each other. So what are the lessons from Eve today besides Genesis 3? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2. The first lesson, I think, is that we must remember that in creating Eve and Adam, God created them together in his image. Let us make mankind. I remember as a kid, we read that, and I was like, what does he mean by us? 
And I remember my Sunday school teacher was like, I just, I never thought about that before. I'm like, how can you not think about that? Believe it or not, I was a little impatient, you know? It's two letters. It's one little word, but I feel like it has a big meaning, teach, you know? Like, what do you mean by us? What does it mean by us? And what God wants us to be reminded of is that not only is God community, but in the creation of who we are, in the creation of the world, the Son was present. The Spirit was present. God did it together. Let us make mankind in our image. And we're created in the image of God. The ancient Near Eastern people were very literal people. Now, for a lot of us, you know, through the, the well, I don't know if it's the, the rationalism of our culture today or our post-postmodernity or whatever we call it, we tend to be very metaphysical. And when we talk about, even as Christians, right, when we talk about being the image of God, it's like this ideal that we don't know what we meant. You know what they meant by image of God? A statue. That's what God meant. God meant that you are going to be my physical representation to the world. Think about it when you go to D.C. When you go to Lincoln Memorial, what is that? A physical representation of someone who says, we're going we're gonna to fight for freedom for the people. When you go to Martin Luther King Memorial, think about it, what you think. It's a, it's a physical memorial that says what? We as a people are going to fight to be free. You think about the Holocaust Memorial. When you go there, what is it? It's a physical representation that we will love each other. Because when we don't love each other, when we uplift any part of ourselves above each other, we are capable of genocide. And we don't have to look to Germany because in our country we did the same. Memorials and statues. God was physically saying to Adam and Eve, everywhere you go on this earth, you're going to represent me. Everywhere you go on this earth, I want the animals, I want the angels, I want all of creation, I want all of you to know that you represent me. When God says you're created in his image, it's not just this ideal he's talking about. He's saying you represent me. And then he talks about the likeness. We'll create man and woman in our image and our likeness. That's the character of God. And one of the things that sin does is it studs, it paralyzes that, that character and goodness of God that, that's supposed to shine through because the Spirit lives in us. The character of God, you are supposed to look like Jesus Christ. You're not just supposed to represent him, you're supposed to look like him to every single person you meet. Every relationship, every interaction, every single thing you do should remind people of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's a great way to order your life. Does this bring glory to God? Then I shouldn't do it if it doesn't. Every single thing you do, but sin can attack that likeness. Now, the other thing that's interesting is that women and men are created together in the image of God. We're so individualistic. When we talk about being in the image of God, we talk about ourselves. We say, I'm created in the image of God. Or maybe we'll be generous to say, you're created in the image of God. The first believers would have struggled with that. Because they would have said, no, we are created in the image of God. And it's not about I. It's not even about me choosing you. It's about us together. Men and women together bring glory to God because they're created together in the image of God. And this is God telling us that not only are you created together, you're created for each other. And you're created to need each other. And this is God not just being clear, but to me, I used to think this was semantics, but when God creates, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. But when he gets to mankind, 
when he creates Eve and Adam, he says, it's very good. And when he creates them very good, God makes them co-regents. God makes them co-rulers. This is why we can stand and affirm that not only God made them equal, God made them have access to every single thing. God says, Eve, Adam, you will be my representation. You will have my character, but you will rule the earth, the land, the sea. And not only will you rule them, you will give them your name. In our culture, We've kind of lost this little thing about names. You know, we pick names now because we like them. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. It's just not biblical. But it's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to pick your names if you like, right? I did the same thing with our kids, right? My family's still trying to figure out where my kids come from. But in certain cultures, in certain cultures, you name your children after a hope that you're placing in them or after a person who you're standing on their shoulders, so in my family, for example, if you say Daniel, you're talking about 12 different people. You got to literally spell out which one you want, right? But in this culture, that would be closer to the ancient Near Eastern. And, and what God is saying here is not only am I making you ruler, but I'm putting you in relationship. Because you don't name something unless you have a relationship with it. And I'm not just talking about your children because that's not it. But I'm talking about even like your pets. If you just call the dog, dog, right? Like there's no affection there. But by giving your dog a name, for example, you're being in relationship to it. And God's reminding them that I'm not just creating you to rule over this world. I'm creating you to be in relationship with every single thing in this world. So not only do you need to worry about your sister and brother, you need to worry about my creation. And that's something we need to keep hearing as Christians. Because for far too long, we looked at the earth as just, let's use it all up. Because God's coming back anyway. Well, that's against what God does in creation because he says, no, 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 no. I put you here to tend and care for the earth. I put you here to be in relationship and to care for all of my creation. God gives them authority to care for the earth. A lot of times we think about authority, we think about power. But God gives them authority to love, to care, to value last thing about Eve and Adam here that I think is probably the most important shift for us. A lot of times we forget that the Bible wasn't written in English. And because of that, we forget that English has, I don't know, it's a different language, but it also has different meanings and nuances. You know, the NIV's actually done a really good job in the last five years that, you know, you should just say, you know, Eve is created as Adam's helper. Now they say a suitable helper for him. This is important because in English, if I say I'm in charge and you're my helper, what does that mean? I'm in charge and you're my helper. But when God creates Eve as Adam's Ezer, he is not asking her to be his assistant. He's not asking her to be his mother. He's not asking her to be his valet. He's not asking her for the, to be the, the need-to-know basis. Like, I'm a man, I'm in charge, and you're here to help. That's not what is meant by Ezer. We just get that helper in English. The Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. And what does Ezra mean in Hebrew? It means a helper that will stand in front of you when things get rough. It means, you know, if you're in a battle, in the heat of a battle, and you know you can't win, it means the person who will help you win. The Ezer is the same thing that Israel called God. When Israel was fighting its enemies, Israel would call out to God as Ezer. Do you think Israel was saying, God, help us get coffee so we can beat the enemy? Do you think Israel is saying to God, be in your place? Do you think Israel is saying to God, I don't think you're good enough. I'm a man. 
No. When David is then running from his enemies, and he says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my ezer come from? Do you think David is saying, God, I need some coffee? I think you would be wrong. But I think biblically, it's more correct <laughs> to say women are superior to men Amen. than where we've landed. Because where we've landed is that women are inferior to men. Where we've landed is that we as men are somehow in control or in charge because that's our God-given destiny. That's wrong and terrible, but that's where we've lived for too long. I think you'd be wrong, but I think if women are supposed to represent the Ezra, which only represents God in the Old Testament, I think you can say there's an argument that they're superior, but that's not the point God is making. The point God is making is I have created you equal. I have created you to need each other. I've created you to rely on each other. Now, some of us try to dress up a little bit and we'll say we believe in complementarianism, but, but as long as the man's in charge and we complement each other, that's not what God is intending. God wants a complete equality, a full equality. And yes, we have scripture passages where we say, well, Paul said women should be silent here. Well, just because Paul is silent and ignores all the women who worked with him and, and funded his ministry and prayed for him and, and served as apostles and prophets doesn't mean you got to do the same thing. And this is why we're preaching this sermon and this series on the women in the Old Testament because there's so many women who've given us so much in the faith. And you know what Eve has given us? She's given us a reminder that in God's kingdom, we are all equal. That in God's kingdom, it's not about your gender, it's about your gifts. So he's give, she's given us a reminder that we are to raise all of our children knowing that we're all equal. That in God's kingdom, it's about your gifting, not your gender. If you don't love kids, don't sign up for VBS. If you don't like standing in front of people, don't try to preach. If you don't love people, don't try to be a Christian. How about that one? It's about gifts. And that's what Eve reminds us. So when God says, I will make a helper suitable for him, God isn't saying, Adam, you're in charge of everything. Here's your assistant. God is saying, Adam, you don't know what you're doing. Here's some help. But I think my favorite part about this story is that even though we've read it so wrong and we've used it to abuse women for thousands of years, my favorite part about this story is what we ignore, that Adam had nothing to do with it. My favorite part about this story is that Adam is sleeping. God puts him to sleep. Adam has nothing to do with it. And the thing I love about God is he's so intentional, we miss it sometimes. God could have chosen and, and created Eve out of Adam's head. Right? And that would have symbolically said, she's superior to you, she's over you. God could have chosen to, to form Eve out of Adam's foot if he wanted. He's God. He'd do whatever he wants, right? And that would have said that the man is superior to you. But God chose to make him asleep to say, I'm in charge, I'm in control, I'm creating this good. But God chose to make Eve out of Adam's side. To say that not only are you equal, but I need you to walk this earth side by side together. And that is the perfect picture of this equality that God is creating. And this is what we as Christians, if this world doesn't treat women as equal, doesn't treat women as capable, why is we, the church, keep doing the same? We shame our God. We paralyze our sisters. And we don't do God's work. 
if we're all about how powerful we are as men and that is our God-given duty to rule, because that's not the message of Genesis 1 and 2. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. One of the things I love the most about Jesus is even though his society and culture didn't love and respect women, Jesus loved, respected, and elevated women. He gave them every single role in his kingdom. Why are we not doing the same? In Genesis, we have this reminder that God wants equality, not just in creation, but in his kingdom. And I have to admit, one of the first poets that taught me this was the great Tupac Shakur. And Tupac once said, you know, since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and our game from a woman, I wonder why we take from our women, why we rape our women, do we hate our women. And Tupac wasn't a pacifist, because he goes on to say, it's time that we kill for our women. I think that's a little too far. <laughs> but the point he makes at the end of that is like, if we don't, we'll have a race of babies who hate the ladies who make the babies. I'm telling you, Tupac was profound. You didn't know that, right? We have to get back to that Edenic ideal. We have to stop listening to our culture that devalues women. We have to stop believing our families who tell us, you're a man, so you're in charge. God cares about gifting, not gender. One of the things that broke my heart and taught me this, I shared this in the first service, was I remember at the camp I grew up going to, there was a lady who worked for a Fortune 500 company in New York City. She was their top accountant. And because of a wrong reading of Genesis 3, because of a wrong reading and, and ignoring of the New Testament, they decided that she would be the camp treasurer in charge of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But because she was a woman, she had to do all the taxes but couldn't give commentary. And, and I remember as a kid sitting there, you know, she would come and she would literally have to give the presentation to a man and dumb it down so he could try to understand it. And then he would go into the room, try to explain it, and then come back and ask her questions. And I remember sitting there as a 12-year-old just like dumbfounded by it all. And, and, and what shocked me was that I remember looking around the room and I was the only one who was shocked that this was happening. There's so many of our sisters who are in this room who've been impacted by our denying of God's ideal, by our denying of God's creation, by our denying of what God created in his kingdom in Jesus Christ. To my sisters this morning, God doesn't just think you're equal. God made you equal. And whatever gifts God's given you, I'm sorry that we haven't used it, but I'm here and hopeful <laughs> because we need it and we need you. The whole thread of this whole sermon series is God is faithful to the faithful. So I'm grateful for so many of you who've remained faithful in spite of us not being faithful. And I'm thankful for you because our faith, and even this church, isn't what it is without the women of this church. If the things I want you to hold on to from, from this story in Genesis 1 and 2, it's simply this. The first one is that God values all of his creation, and his creation is male and female. 
in the ancient Near East, all the gods who created when they wrote these big stories. A lot of people now take Genesis and they try to match it up to, to like the, the, the signs of today. If you want to match up Genesis, you have to go back to people who lived back then and their other creation stories. And what you'll find in their creation stories, like the Babylonian Numa Elish, is that the gods, you know, created people to be their slaves. That the gods created people because they were tired of working. That the gods would kill a bunch of each other and then whoever was most powerful would go up. Then you get to Genesis 2 and you have a God who just speaks the world into existence. You have a God who didn't create you to be slaves but to rule. You have a God who doesn't say, you know, you're a man so you're on top or you're more powerful, you're on top. You have a God who says, no, all my children are equal. All my children have work to do. All my children are all mine. God values all of his creation. The second one I want us to hold on to from Eve is his reminder through Jesus himself. Jesus valued women. So must we. And we have to do this not just in our theology. We have to do this in our families. We have to do this in our workplaces. We have to do this as we're walking down the street. Jesus treated women as if they were equal that they are. Why aren't we doing the same? Third thing I want us to hold on to is that Jesus' kingdom forces us back to Eden. And we now work in a kingdom where women and men are equally gifted. So we must value and teach about gifting and not gender keeping you from any role. There's so many people who are like, yeah, 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 I believe women are equal, but I just don't think they can do that. I will venture to say that's not Christian. I would venture to say that's not Christ-like. And I would venture to say you're harming the world and the kingdom and you're not helping it. And I would stand on the words of John and James who says, if you're doing that, you look like your father, Satan. Because if you're not Christ-like, If you're not looking like Christ, there's only one other option. And if you're living to put people down, if you're living to put women down, if you're living to elevate yourself above a level that God doesn't put you, you're doing Satan's work and not his own. God doesn't just value women. God calls you to do the same and expects you to do the same. And if you don't do the same, he's going to hold you accountable for that. But the last thing is simply this. In Eve and Adam, God created them together, not just for each other, but to shine together for his glory. I love when Steve had us pause for a little bit in his prayer and he says, think about the women who built your faith. And maybe that's something you can do this week. Or maybe that's something you can aspire to be this week. How am I building the faith of the people around me? How am I building the faith of the young women around me? How am I building the faith of the the women in my life? But how have I been impacted by them? God wants us to shine together for his glory. And if we're not willing to value one another the way he values us, and if we're not willing to open doors and if need be, break down doors to make sure all of God's children are doing all of God's work together, If we're not willing to do that, God's going to hold us accountable. And one of the things I love about this church is that we will always value women here. We will always look at Eve and be reminded of the Edenic ideal. But we always look at our sisters and brothers, but our sisters this morning, and say thank you for letting God use you to build our faith. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. We're going to close our sermon this morning by singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Like I said, one of the main threads throughout these stories that we're going to say is that God is faithful to the faithful. But as we sing this song, I'd like to just invite you this morning to not only stand and sing with us, but if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to invite you to come up for prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe this morning you're in here and you're like, you know what? I haven't been valued for who I am. So I just want to say, God, I'm ready to start using my gifts for you. Or maybe you're saying, you know what, God? I haven't valued women the way you've called me to value women and I need forgiveness. Please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Or if you don't want us to pray for you, do the work in your seat yourself. But as we sing, great is thy faithfulness, may we be reminded this morning that our God has called us to not just equality, but our God has called us to shine together for his glory. And we cannot shine together if we don't value one another. Amen? Let's stand and sing together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I all I have needed, I have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Today 
so much that you're a God who is indeed faithful. We thank you that you're worthy of all our worship. God, we thank you that you bless the faithful. God, we thank you for the reminder of our, our, our sister, our mother Eve this morning. The reminder that we are more than the worst thing that we've done. But the reminder that in creation you've created us equal. God, help us to be a people who are lifting up your gifts for your work. Who are supposed to be a people who don't define what people are able to do based on their gender or any kind of difference, but based on their gifting, their love of you. God, I pray that we can continue to be a congregation who values our sisters, who values our mothers, who values our friends, who values women to the point of releasing them to do your kingdom work. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much that you're a God who builds our faith. So thank you for the spirit within. Thank you for the body around us. Thank you for Jesus in front of us. And thank you for the scriptures to guide us. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.